It's the show where Hawaii's newsmakers come to talk and to take your questions live. From the nation's capital to Honolulu Hale, from the state legislature to the fifth floor, we bring the experts to you and ask them what you want to know. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Palaisuji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs. Happy Aloha Friday. Thanks so much for joining us here on Spotlight Hawaii. I'm Yanji Denise, joined by Ryan Kalei-Suji. Ryan, we have made it through another week, and we are welcoming a guest who we always enjoy speaking with. That's right. We're going to continue on in our discussions and spotlighting what's happening uh, at Red Hill with the crisis there. And joining us once again from the Board of Water Supply is Ernie Lau. Great to see you this morning. Thanks so much for joining us again. Aloha. Glad to be here. Uh, let's just start off broadly. Uh, it's been a while since we last caught up. There's a lot that continues to happen with uh, what's happening over at Red Hill. Can you tell us uh, where things stand uh, on your maybe your day-to-day interaction, something that you're specifically working on right now as you continue to navigate through what's uh, happened and what's transpired with Red Hill? Uh, so what we're working on right now uh, is actually to try to move forward with our monitor well installation of monitor wells in the Red Hill area to be able to uh, uh, investigate what's happening in the underground aquifer if contamination from Red Hill is moving in the groundwater below the, deep below the ground. Uh, We're also moving forward to try to develop uh, exploratory wells and get them drilled and tested to see if we can develop replacement capacity to replace the capacity lost by the three wells that we currently have shut down. Let's talk about that first part of what you're working on, tracking the contamination. Have you learned anything new about where it might be and how vast the plume could be? Still, uh, we don't we don't really know. Uh, there's not enough monitor wells uh, spread out. Most of the monitor wells the military has in- installed are on Navy property and close by. Uh, I know that they are trying to develop more wells, uh, hopefully off of Navy property away from the Red Hill facility. And we're trying to do the same thing. Well, uh, but go ahead. Oh, no, we, I was just going to say, we know that you have been trying to gain access to uh, do some of the testing of those Navy facilities or in that Navy area and their scope and purview. Uh, what have those discussions been like on trying to get those samplings? And why do you think it's so inc- important for the Board of Water Supply to be involved uh, in that testing process? Uh, you know, we um, started last year. Uh, to I reached out to the three admirals that are responsible for this Red Hill situation, uh, Vice Admiral John Wade, uh, Rear Admiral Stephen Barnett, and uh, Rear Admiral Jeff Killian. And uh, in those uh, face-to-face meetings, we talked about uh, they made a request to try to sample from one of our wells, like uh, Drill DH-43 in Mauna Loa Valley, our test well there. They wanted to take a sample. They wanted to take some samples at some of our uh, drinking water wells that are turned off. Uh, so we readily accommodated that. And what we also asked in exchange, can we get access to like Red Hill Shaft? We'd like to take samples out of Red Hill Shaft and maybe other locations uh, in their system. Uh, and we thought everything was going smoothly. We were supposed to we were supposed to go out there in December. It got pushed back because of the holidays and other issues. Uh, and the AFFF uh, spill um, uh, to January, and we thought we were ready to go, and then we receive a letter basically saying uh, they're not going to allow us to do that. So I, uh, I was uh, 
quite disappointed uh, because what is fair is fair. We're opening up access to the public's, the community's water uh, wells, uh, monitor wells. Uh, we actually would like to get the same treatment from the Navy uh, because we also want to know what's happening underground in the water and what's being detected. Absolutely, especially because the Navy has said repeatedly on this program and elsewhere that the name of the game is transparency. So that does seem uh, odd, especially if what you're saying, you know, that they agreed to it initially and then stepped back. What was the reason given for that change of heart? Uh, it wasn't clear. They, I'm not sure if it was the consent order, you know, that proposed consent order that uh, the comments uh, closed, the uh, comment period closed on February 6th. If they are under that consent order, they feel that they cannot uh, allow us access. Uh, but what's really come out uh, kind of clear, and it's uh, kind of been our experience over the last nine years, and we've been on this issue for nine years now, um, is that the Navy will respond to requests only from the regulators for information and provide it to the regulators. Um, if we try to ask, and we have asked the Navy directly for information, we've been on successful in getting that information directly from them. For example, the test results uh, in electronic format, not PDF files, electronic format directly from their laboratories so we can um, better uh, review and, uh, and uh, interpret the information. Um, so it's been kind of this, this interesting game of pointing the finger toward the regulators for the information. We go to the regulators, we request the information, um, uh, and it's not the easiest, so they try to give it to us, but apparently what they're getting is actually uh, somewhat similar information that the Navy's putting up on their website. Uh, so we go around and around in a circle here. Transparency yeah. is not being demonstrated. Uh, you know, in, in talking about that, the testing specifically with the access that you're trying to get, you are also doing testing on your own, as you mentioned earlier, with the, you know, the, the areas of access that you are able to get to. Uh, what are you seeing from those internal uh, testings? Is there anything of concern? Uh, how are things looking from the tests that you folks are are able to do successfully? Uh, we're still doing tests of our wells, our, our drinking water wells uh, that are still operating close to the Red Hill facility. Uh, uh, Mauna Loa wells, for example, or our uh, Gulch wells. Uh, we still do those tests. We haven't detected any petroleum. We're still testing also uh, at uh, IAA wells and Halava wells, which is shut down. So we turn it on, we pump it to waste, uh, and we draw samples, and we, uh, so far we haven't detected any petroleum yet. You know, given that for this long there hasn't been petroleum detected there, what at what point would you feel comfortable reopening those wells? Is there a point, or is that you know, closed. I know what you've said on this program before, it's it's indefinite TBD. Uh, is this sort of a forever closure at this point? Well, there's, uh, I think, two major factors in, uh, that would weigh into the decision to turn back on uh, those three wells that are shut down. Uh, number one is uh, removal of the 104 million gallons of jet fuel and diesel that still sits in the tanks there hundred feet above the aquifer at Red Hill, the Navy's Red Hill facility. Get that out of there and empty out all those pipes uh, also. The other factor would be uh, an extensive monitor well network that has actually been installed, not only on Navy property, but also property beyond there, uh, the Navy's uh, parcel there at Red Hill on both sides in the Mauna Loa Valley and the Halava Valley side. 
Can you tell us, give us a better idea what's happening underground and what the what might be moving? We still strongly suspect there is a flow in the underground, a flow direction in the underground aquifer going from the Red Hill facility across Halava Valley. And there's also maybe a flow into Mauna Loa Valley to a certain extent. Uh, but these monitor wells would inform us uh, what's happening. Also, the uh, the completion of the Navy's groundwater model, model uh, groundwater computer, computer model, uh, and that uh, final approval by the EPA and the Department of Health of that model with input from the Board of Water Supply. Those are all tools and information that help inform our decision to go forward. The AFFF concentrate spill of 1,300 gallons uh, on November 29th and 2022. Uh, Yunji and Ryan, it makes me really even more nervous to want to try to turn on Halava Shaft uh, because I need to know what's happening with that. And we know that those chemicals dissolve very easily, PFAS chemicals dissolve very easily into water, and they stay intact for a long, long time. When they dissolve easily into water, that means they can move with the groundwater quite easily in the aquifer. So uh, my concerns, uh, I have grave concerns about that. Yeah, let, let's focus in a little more on that most recent spill, the, the AFFF uh, that you spoke about. You know, what, what are the conversations like uh, with the military and the Navy uh, about that spell specifically? What information are you still waiting on uh, for those types of testings? What, what are some of the things that uh, you are hoping to receive from the Navy with regards to that sp spill specifically? I think the first things is I want to see the investigative report that was uh, uh, supposedly completed and it's kind of making its way up the chain of command in the military and the Navy up to the, uh, up to the Pentagon. Uh, and also the video of what happened. Uh, there was uh, apparently one camera that was looking from the outside of the tunnel. The, this is at added six, a side tunnel that connects to the lower access tunnel that carries all the field pipelines to and from the tanks and Pearl Harbor. Uh, so I want to see what that looked like. Uh, so this investigative report would be one, uh, one component. Uh, the other would be the test results. I believe there are some test results that have been given to the health department that's posted uh, both maybe on the Navy's website uh, and also the uh, Department of Health's website. But the last time I looked at it, there was only maybe one groundwater test result. Uh, the, the others were soil sample results. So. Um, there's still a lot of information to, to be obtained. And just to be clear, are you concerned that the spill that happened in November could be leaking into the aquifer, you know, separate from the spill, of course, that we've been focused on for so long with the Red Hill fueled spill? Are you concerned that those PFA, those uh, forever chemicals, if you will, are seeping into our groundwater as we speak? My concern is, and our experience with uh, chemical releases over the aquifer, that eventually with the rainfall, it'll be uh, pushed downward toward and eventually get into the aquifer. So uh, my concern is that it, it, eventually it'll reach the groundwater aquifer and start to spread with it. Um, how long it takes to get to the groundwater aquifer and start to spread, that's the unknown. Um, but these chemicals, you know, easily dissolve in water. So every time it rains, it's, it'll dissolve more of the chemicals that might be hung up in the soil uh, above the aquifer and start to move downward, uh, brought downward by gravity. 
a lot of this conversation, as we've talked about, is just some of the pushback or maybe not the information that you're getting from the military and from the Navy. Uh, you know, but the Navy has said that, as Yunji mentioned, they have pledged transparency. Uh, they have put real Admiral uh, Wade in charge of this defueling process. What has the conversations been like uh, with Admiral Wade? Have you been uh, speaking to him weekly? Uh, what are those uh, interactions like? And, and what are the information uh, that you're getting from him uh, knowing that he was brought in specifically for uh, this assignment? Uh, you know, the the interactions with him have actually been pretty good. He seems, you know, when I t uh, sit down as a person, he can, somebody easy to talk to. Uh, and he appears to, you know, listen. And he, and he, he always mentions he's very em empathetic. Um, uh, but the uh, the reality is the, uh, uh, the three admirals are probably the easiest ones to actually have a conversation with. Uh, but the the issue is uh, sharing information and cooperation is still very difficult. Uh, I am, uh, he did invite me to be part of that defueling information sharing forum. We've had a couple meetings now and some good discussions. Uh, the last discussion was about release of the investigative report and the video, uh, trying to get that out. Um, and we are going to be meeting with him later this month, uh, near the end of this month, uh, with the three admirals again. Uh, but I, I'm not sure if. I, I guess, I guess I'd characterize it. The the people that we're dealing with are nicer people. Some of the admirals in the past have really had different attitudes uh, toward us. Um, but the end result is the information sharing, the transparency. It's still very challenging. We're not getting the information. They're not being very transparent. Uh, I want to bring in this comment uh, from one of our viewers this morning. She says, the Navy literally just concreted over before even waiting for a test. The Navy needs to think uh, they can keep poisoning us and getting away with it. There's a lot of, you know, pretty fiery comments here and people are upset about what's happening to our water supply. I want to ask about that concrete uh, pour that happened over the November spill site. Uh, what is your understanding is, and for viewers who are just catching up and may not be tracking this, my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that they excavated a good amount of the soil in that area and, and then poured concrete over the site. Um, you know, what, what are your thoughts about that? Because, the, you know, some people like the viewer there and others have seen that and said, why would they pour concrete over that? We still need to have direct access to that, to that earth. Yeah. So what I understand from the Department of Health, the here hazard evaluation, emergency response of folks there, that, uh, the concern there, that, uh, that area of Red Hill where the uh, spill occurred there's a lot of rain that happens. So remember when the rain hits the ground, it starts to soak down downward and eventually could re uh, will reach the aquifer. So the concern was uh, that the contamination that spilled out of that tunnel, that 1300 gallons of the AFFF concentrate containing PFAS will with more rain uh, soaking the ground and carrying it further down to the aquifer uh, that they, they wanted to cover it up uh, to prevent the rain from uh, uh, carrying that uh, that uh, toxic material downward, uh, so they used plastic initially, and then the I think they approached the health department about temporarily putting. I, and this is where I'm a little confused. I haven't gone back there to see it. Uh, using AC pavement, and so you know, blacktop instead of concrete, 
uh, to um, to actually cover it up, just temporarily seal it, uh, minimize how much water can seep through into the ground and carry the PFAS uh, F concentrate downward. Uh, and if necessary, they'll dig it up again and they'll start to remove more soil. What didn't make sense to me is that um, that they they're not, they didn't even have, I, I don't know, you know, it's like, a, but, but shouldn't you wait a little longer to get some soil test results to tell you if you need to dig deeper before paving it over? Uh, now they have to go to the trouble of ripping up the AC pavement uh, to be able to dig deeper if they have to remove more soil. I want to also ask about, uh, you know, we, we had this discussion on, on Wednesday about the decommissioning and what the site becomes after. And, and there still is a lot of questions. There still is uh, discussions to be had about what happens once this defueling effort is completed and what becomes of this facility. Uh, in your mind, what do you think that this facility should become? Uh, do you believe that it should be used for uh, renewable energy, or do you, have you heard any sort of conversations as to what the future of Red Hill looks like beyond just a fuel storage tanker facility? Well, you know, so what I've heard is what I've seen on the news and, and read in their um, uh, their closure report, which is uh, pretty um, pretty brief, uh, that they want to do is closure in place. Uh, basically, uh, I guess, clean up the tanks and the pipes and just leave everything in place and look at repurposing it for some beneficial use. Um, my position is absolutely not. We should disable this facility in such a fashion that it's permanently unusable for fuel storage at any point in the future, whether it be 10 years, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now or more. Uh, no more fuel or chemicals should be brought in to be located directly over our aquifer. Uh, so for, for the Board of Water Supply, for, for me, it's permanent disablement of the facility. Uh, that's an acceptable closure. What about the idea of repurposing it? You know, uh, Ryan's referring to our interview. If you, if any of the viewers today missed it on Wednesday with uh, Navy Secretary Meredith Berger, uh, Assistant Secretary, they're talking about her purview, which is really the repurposing, po possible repurposing of that facility. You know, she says that that could align with Hawaii's uh, renewable energy goals. That they're going to be doing a lot of listening, if you will, to the community to figure out what could happen there. Um, are you saying that? whatever it is, you know, just basically close the mountain and keep it closed. It doesn't matter what is there. You don't want to see it. Uh, you know, one thing, and I watched that interview with Assistant uh, Secretary of the Navy, uh, Meredith Berger, uh, is the issue. The, the leadership there at DOD right now are committed to defueling closure. But in a couple of years, that leadership could change and it could change, it'll change over time. If something were to occur and they suddenly had a need for this facility for fuel storage to be pushed out to Hawaii to support, say, a conflict in the Pacific region, uh, this, these fuel tanks will still be sitting there with the pipelines that connect them to and from Pearl Harbor and with the pumps that they have there to move fuel around. Uh, I don't want that to happen because nobody can, the folks that are in leadership right now cannot promise forever that this facility will never be used for fuel storage or some other chemical storage. 
the only way to assure that is permanent disablement of that facility. Um, I think uh, beneficial reuse, hydropower, you know, using uh, water, storing water there and using the facility like a big battery uh, and then at night uh, flowing it back down or during the day. Uh, so use renewable energy to pump the water uphill to the tanks and at night flow it back down to generate electricity. I'm not sure if there's enough elevation difference between where the fuel tanks are and where uh, Pearl Harbor is located to be able to generate enough hydroelectricity to, for it to make sense to actually be net power producing without costing more to operate than the power it produces. Uh, so that, and then I've also heard the idea of stored drinking water in that facility. <laughs> and I, I, I don't agree with that concept because think of it this way, you've got a rusty old gas can that you're now going to try to clean it out and put drinking water and drink from it. I think, I don't think it makes sense to me uh, to do that because I know that there has been leaks beyond the quarter inch steel plate. That's, there are, there's fuel trapped on the other side and the outside of that steel plate in each of the tanks. Um, the other thing that uh, beneficial reuse, they got to think about it is that that's quarter inch steel plate in each of the tanks, it's rusting. It's corroding from the outside in. And it's only a quarter inch, less than the, the thickness of your pinky. Uh, so eventually rust will will penetrate through uh, the steel plate in each of the tanks and it'll leak. So how do you maintain something that is now 80 years old that is rusting? Uh, does it make sense to put go and spend the efforts toward beneficial reuse um, just to be able to keep the facility in place? Uh, does it make sense and how long will it operate based on the cost that you have to expend? You know, we, along with these efforts of just getting all this information, you are also, as you mentioned at the top of the show, looking for other sources of water to help uh, with what is now essentially shut down. Uh, if you can update us on that, how are the progress, uh, how, what progress is being made on finding additional sources of drinking water for residents uh, in urban Honolulu? Uh, so what we're doing is we're looking at uh, wells that we have drilled in the past but haven't put pumps in it. We're testing those. Uh, and we're also testing wells that we haven't used for a while that was previous, previously uh, too salty to use. We're going to see if the water has freshened up in the aquifer in that location and uh, turn on the pumps and, and try to uh, test the water again. We're also looking at drilling new wells. Uh, first step is the exploratory well. Uh, we have one that's uh, currently being advertised for the construction of that exploratory well uh, at one of our reservoir sites in Aia. Uh, and we, uh, we intend to continue to pursue that effort to develop new wells. Uh, we're also looking at seawater desalination. Uh, we're in the procurement process right now, so I can't really discuss the details of that, but that's a small seawater desal project uh, in the uh, uh, Campbell Industrial Park area. Um, and I, I look at it as a, also a project that helps improve our resiliency to climate change in the future. 
you know, you've been on this program a number of times and we've seen you, uh, you know, get pretty emotional about this topic in the past. How are you feeling overall about where we are right now? Are you frustrated with where we are with the Navy? Do you feel like things are getting better? We know that you have, you know, an ally in the congressional delegation and in the in the governor's office. But, you know, how much are we really getting toward meeting that goal of getting that 104 million gallons out? Uh, you know, it's a. Uh... It is progress. I gotta, I gotta say, I'm a hopeful, a little hopeful. Uh, I'll see it and believe it when it actually is completed. Uh, hopefully, not by middle of 2024, but hopefully earlier. Uh, so the progress is that I'm no longer fighting the military and fighting the regulators that uh, this thing needs to be shut down, defueled, or shut down. Uh, and and thanks to our the work of our hard work of our congressional delegation, funding is not going to be an excuse for the military to accomplish that. And that was always one of my concerns in the past. But then uh, it's now execution of that, and also cleanup of the mess they left behind. Uh, that's still something that needs to get done. I don't see a a coherent uh, mandatory plan that locks the military in to explore, uh, doing the uh, exploration into the impacts of the aquifer, how, how badly it has been impacted or hurt because of contamination of fuel leaks or now AFFF concentrate leaks with PFAS and how they're gonna clean it up. Uh, because there's still, we gotta remember, it's just not the leaks that occurred in 2021, the 20,000 or so gallons of jet, jet fuel it's also 180,000 gallons of past releases over the past uh, 80 years that the facility has been in operation. Where is that fuel sitting in underground and will it continue to feed into the underground aquifer and move with the groundwater? That's, uh, that's also an un unknown. You know, before we let you go, uh, I just wanted to allow you one uh, final thought here this morning. Uh, we can see from the comments, we know that you probably hear it all the time. There, there continues to be uh, a lot of frustration out there in the community about how this is being handled. Uh, many pe people feel hopeless because this is such a large issue and you don't always get answers from the military and the Navy, as you've alluded to in this conversation. What would your message be for those viewers out there who are watching this morning, who share your concerns and seemingly are continue to be frustrated with the way things are handled, uh, what would be your message to those uh, who are watching this morning? Uh, my message, and first of all, is to mahalo to mahalo everybody that's been on this issue that has expressed their position, their concerns about it. Mahalo for all your efforts. The lesson learned learned here over the last nine years for me has been that the military is such a large organization and they're not used to, to having the community tell them what they need to do. Uh, so my message to our community is don't give up. Have hope. If we stand together as a community with one voice on this issue, we can make the impossible happen here. But it takes persistence. It's not an easy road. It is every step is a, st a step forward is is a battle. It takes a lot of effort, and please don't give up. Please educate the young people too, because this effort is not going to end in only a few years. I think it's going to go on for a long time. 
uh, and we need to hold the DOD accountable for the situation. So please don't give up, have hope, and let's stand together. We always appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Ernie Lau, Chief Engineer of the Board of Water Supply. Thanks so much for being here this morning. Mahalo. Aloha. Wow, Ryan, you know, I always love talking to him because you really get the sense that he is so passionate about this. He really cares in our, about our community. Uh, we see the comments there, all these folks thanking him for, you know, fighting the good fight. Really troubling to hear at the top of the program, he talked about the work that he's doing right now with the Navy, uh, that they had initially agreed to allow access to the Board of Water Supply to have access to some of their wells to conduct their own testing because the Navy had asked for access on the Oahu side to do the same thing. Uh, and while the BWS granted that access, the Navy has decided to go in another direction. Yeah, and really frustrating to hear. Uh, you can see here his frustrations about, you know, just having that interaction and, and that pledge of transparency that has come from the Navy, uh, but not being able to get the access so that they too can test to ensure that the water quality continues to be safe to drink. Uh, and that they can work together on this issue. We also heard from him some of the frustrations about the most recent spill in November, uh, the AFFF chemicals, the forever chemicals that were spilled. Uh, there continues to be a, a delay in that report and some of the information that they're waiting on, the testing that they're also waiting to gather uh, as it moves up the chain of command within the military. But that is something else that Ernie Lau is saying that they continue to wait on and get information on. He did, however, say that the individuals and those who have been assigned uh, to tackle this issue on behalf of the military, like Admiral Wade, uh, have been pleasant to work with, so to speak. He said in the past there have not been uh, those individuals in place that maybe were as accommodating or uh, understanding and empathetic of their concerns, uh, saying that this group that he continued, uh, that he's currently speaking with uh, understands and, and understands the issue at hand, uh, but still, there is a lack of information and transparency that the Board of Water Supply continues to wait on. Yeah, and you also heard him really push back on the proposal unveiled uh, by Assistant Secretary Meredith Berger on this program to somehow reuse that facility, repurpose, if you will, the tanks themselves. There's the defueling operation and then the decommissioning of the tanks. There is talk uh, at, you know, at very high levels of perhaps turning that into some kind of a hydroelectric power or some kind of a renewable energy resource for the island. Um, and she said that the Navy has contracted a local company to uh, shop around for ideas and to figure out what are some of the possible options. Ernie Lau saying it doesn't matter what the Navy promises today. We don't know who could be in charge. Politics change and those in power change. And so he wants basically this, the Red Hill facility to be shut down, locked up and to throw away the keys so that it can never be used as an option for a fuel source in the future if we were to engage in some kind of a military operation in the Pacific or beyond. So uh, interesting to hear his push back there and also really rally a rallying cry to our community to keep fighting and to keep staying on this issue. Um, he says it's going to be something that affects us for many years to come. Yeah, you could really hear again that emotion and that passion that he has about this issue and about protecting the island's water. Uh, you know, we've spoken to many officials about this and so we'll continue to keep uh, in touch with Ernie Lau and the Board of Water Supply as this issue continues to unfold. We'll also be speaking to our guest uh, on Monday about this issue as she settles into her new role. 
That's right. We are speaking with Congresswoman Jill Takuda. She is settling in in Washington. She is on the Armed Services Committee and the Agriculture Committee. We'll be talking to her about her committee assignments and what her, uh, you know, oversight on that military, on the Armed Services Committee, what that could mean in relation to Red Hill and, of course, to the relationship with the military in Hawaii uh, beyond the Red Hill fuel facility. So we loved hearing from Ernie Lau and we look forward to our conversation with the Congresswoman. We hope to see you right back here on Monday at 10.30. Aloha. We'll see you then. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs.